Welcome to this, the third instalment of Eighth Wonder from the Doctor Who podcast. You are most welcome. Welcome, dear listeners, to uh, the third part of our series, Eighth Wonder, where we are engaging with Brent as he experiences the Dark Eyes series for the first time. This, of course, is not James. This is Michelle, and I am delighted to join Brent today. Good morning, Brent. Hey, how's it going? It's going great. Um, And just a quick background. I had listened to Dark Eyes uh, sometime back nearer when it came out. And so like James, uh, I'm coming to this a second time, whereas you are coming to it completely fresh with new eyes and new opinions. So uh, it's been a delight for me to revisit it. I probably haven't listened to it in several years, uh, and this is a nice opportunity. So Today, we are looking at episode three of the first box set of Dark Eyes, so we are looking at Tangled Web. You should take me back there, Doctor. I was meant to stay there. I knew that. And when Kitty got sick, I knew I was going to die over there. Molly, listen. You may think you knew that, but that was simply an idea that got stuck in your head. Because, well, because of the war. Because daring to hope that you might get through it all when so many around you are dying sometimes just feels too painful. But that pain, you know that pain? I do, I do. That pain is hope, Molly. And it hurts. Because you don't dare to feel it in case it gets crushed. But if you can cling on to it, it can get you through the worst of times. I've loved it so far. Um, I've, and you're, you're talking about all three episodes together? Yeah. I made it sound last time that um, I had never heard of this before because I, I, I thanked James for introducing me to it. But what I meant was I, I've heard of it before, but I've just never had the the time to uh, sit down and listen to it or, or buy it and listen to it. But yeah, it's it's been great. I've really loved this Um I've always liked the Eighth Doctor audios probably more than any other Doctor Hmm. uh, as far as Big Finish. (laughs) And my memory from when I had listened to this before was that it was a very good series and well worth returning to, which I I am finding. Um, I... I don't know if it's a, a good thing or a bad thing, but I have a tendency to forget the plots after I have listened to things or read them. It's, it's wonderful because I can return to mysteries, for example, and not remember what the ending is. So. <laughs> I do that too, yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of rediscovering. I, I, I've, just like you, I've listened up through episode three now, and I cannot remember how this is going to resolve itself in episode four, so this is good. But, but tell me, what's, what's your uh, kind of overall impressions of episode three in particular? Well, just like the first two, it's very fast-paced. There's a lot going on, and it's it's never boring. It's always going. Uh, something's always happening. And uh, this one started out with flashbacks of Molly's childhood, being lost in a storm when she was two, and mm. rescued by a man named, is it Katras? And uh, he's this mysterious character that we keep hearing. That's uh, Toby Jones, the guy who played uh, the Dream Lord in... Mm. Matt Smith's time. But I, I really like this. But This is the one where they end up on this really beautiful, flowery planet where the Daleks are really nice and there's children and Daleks are laughing. <laughs> and they're like, what is going on here? Daleks laughing. What is going on here? This way, please. Well, Doctor, what do we do? Don't trust them. Don't trust them an inch. But I'm thinking, maybe there are bad Daleks. 
Then good Daleks. Trust me, there are only bad Daleks. I don't know what's going on here or who these poor children are, but I intend to find out. I think that's one of the, the real delights of this story, is getting to hear this kind of audioscape of happy, contented Daleks. Um, yeah. As you guys have mentioned before, the overall theme of this uh, Dark Eyes has to do with hope, and the Doctor has lost hope and um, is, you know, the the question is, is he going to refine it? And so here we, we find ourselves on this planet with happy Daleks. It's worth listening to just to hear Daleks laugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think Nicholas Briggs must have just had a great time. But, um, but underlying that are some really wonderful soliloquies or dialogues about the nature of hope and about is there hope for everyone, even a Dalek? You know, is there hope for even the baddest of the bad? That's one of the questions that is literally asked, um, or not. Um, so, what do you think, Brent? Can can Daleks? Will we ever find a good Dalek? Can a Dalek be redeemed? They really made it uh, believable. I really thought that's what was going on. Um, it was, they were saying that, they were talking to this guy that was like a squid, and, and then you realize he's actually a, uh, retro-engineered Dalek, um, in the mid-phase, on the way to being one of the children, and, uh, it's the future of the Daleks, where they live a peaceful life on the planet, on Skara, for a thousand years after the Time War, and I think, oh, they've jumped ahead after the Time War, this is cool, um, they've had enough of war. They've, you know, they've almost got wiped out by the Time Lords, and and so they decide to stop and retro-engineer. And this is a thousand years later. So yeah, yeah, I was, I was, uh, I was wondering you, what was going were, on. You were sold on the idea that the Daleks had actually managed to change. And... I was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they got me. Well. I, you know, it's funny, I had just watched within the last few weeks Into the Dalek, the Peter Capaldi episode, where, mm-hmm. you know, the, he gets shrunk and goes into the Dalek, hoping against hope, which is a phrase from this story, that that this one Dalek really has changed and has seen the light and has become a good Dalek. But of course, in that story, as in this one, uh, it is all, it ends up being a mirage of sorts. Um, so, so it's, I love I love that the doctor continues to get suckered into believing that the Daleks could at some point be good. And I hope he never loses that, even though again and again and again, those those hopes are dashed. <laughs> <laughs> what else did you pick out of this one? I did notice that, uh, you know, there's they, the one thing that didn't quite match up was that the doctor kept having this uh, recurring pain in his head and uh, a sound like, that got really louder and louder and he would scream out in pain and yell out for Lucy. And I'm like, well, what's that have to do with all this Dalek stuff? Maybe maybe this isn't real, you know. Then he remembers the TARDIS, and he goes running after the TARDIS, and he can't get in, even with his key. It's like a glass something over the lock, and he can't even put the key in the in the lock. And that's when I was like, hey, something's, something's going on here. What's going on? Yeah, yeah, so... You know, it's interesting. I and I was particularly curious to hear your experience as you were moving through these stories for the first time. If I have um, a niggle, it's listening to the second story that you guys reviewed last and this story. 
plot-wise, when you get from point A to point B, not a lot has actually happened. Like in, the, in the second episode, in and out and in and out of a bunch of different locations. And in this one, they kind of get sidetracked into this, um, I don't know if dreamscape is the right oh. term for it, but but it's not reality. It, it, right. it's, it turns out not to be reality. And so I get a little frustrated that not much has happened plot-wise. But on the other hand, it's still a really enjoyable listen. And you are little by little teasing out these mystery elements, like who is this Cotris? And Straxus is there, you know, and the Time Lords are kind of lurking in the background. And why does Molly seem to have such an affinity for being able to work the TARDIS and seem to know more than she should about Time Lord technology? And, um, yeah, there, there, there's even kind of an underlying tension of, is Molly really a good person or is there, you know, is she, is she not? And she seems to be very innocent, but then she has all this other technological know-how that she shouldn't have. So the mystery is being slowly peeled back, um, even while, you know, the Doctor and Molly plot-wise really aren't any further along at the end of this than they were two episodes ago. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I've never been one for one of these, you know, a movie or TV show that's like, oh, it was all a dream. And I was like, well, why did I just waste two hours? Um, but it really works for me in this story because I, I really did enjoy that whole Dalek thing. Uh, it was a though, good dream. Yeah, yeah, even though it wasn't real. And, you know, it, it's just wishful thinking on his part. But we find out that he and Molly are really being experimented on by these uh, alien robots called Mezcaranis, I guess that's how you say it. Oh, I didn't even write it down, so I'll leave you with that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and like you were saying, you know, is Molly good or is she bad or possessed or what's going on here? Because she realizes that Katras has been watching them the whole time and falls into this trance and says, I will be the death of all time, lords. And the doctor is like, what? There, yeah, there's some really interesting clues. I mean, at the beginning, there is, Katris is talking to the two-year-old Molly, and he talks about, um, you know, you're going to free the universe from tyranny. And you get, and then there's also this hint that Katris has given up being a Time Lord, that he uh -huh. has chosen, although he still has a TARDIS that's, that's operational. And then there's also a little hint of... Um, you know, they're trying to find out where the Doctor and Molly have gone. They're trying to trace him, Cotris uh, and the Daleks. Um, and finally, Cotris says, let me anticipate what that devious mind has done. I'm qualified. And so it's like, hmm, some relationship between Cotris and the Doctor. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, th yeah, th certainly there are these strands of mystery that are planted without, uh, uh, planted throughout is what I want to say. And um that yeah, so so that's intriguing. Yeah, and and then near the end, uh, we have uh, the Daleks come crashing in and Straxus, and he has an assistant named Sandon, which this is the first time I've heard of him. Mm -hmm. uh, and they show up in the TARDIS and materialize around them and um, rescue them just before the Daleks come in and and kill the the alien robots. And that's when everything sort of uh, hits the fan. Yeah. And <laughs> but Straxus tells him that Katras is now referred to as X and was a Time Lord at one time, but the Daleks genetically altered him into something else, so he's not a Time Lord anymore. And then we have the big cliffhanger, 
which is uh, yep. Strax, Strax's TARDIS gets time ramped, which it's a good thing I was, uh, my guard was up while I was driving yesterday because that time ramp <laughs> would have probably caused me to have a wreck. <laughs> it came out of nowhere and it was really loud. So this audio may need a, a danger warning. <laughs> Just the last few seconds, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, his TARDIS starts to disintegrate at the end. That's a, they have really good cliffhangers in these stories. They're really good. Oh, that's a good point. That is a good point. And, you know, ultimately on this one, again, I start getting a little anxious for the plot to do something, but the mystery does keep getting peeled back. And one thing I really love when it's done well is when Doctor Who can examine not only important concepts within the story, but also have echoes of those into real life. And this whole theme of pondering on hope and goodness and is there can there be good in everybody. Uh, and the way that Nicholas Briggs has set this originally in the context of, of the First World War um, and Molly, of course, that, that continues to be the lens through which she experiences the story because that's her, her home context. Um, she has this beautiful soliloquy about tending the wounded English soldiers and wondering about her, her, her equivalent, women on the opposite side, on the German side, who are tending their wounded soldiers. Mm-hmm. And this connection of humanity beyond, you know, the war. It's yes. a beautiful little note and something we still need to hear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think she said something about we were looking after our, our boys, and I guess they were looking after their boys. Yeah. And not, not done with a heavy hand, just kind of sprinkled in there appropriately. Yeah. Yeah. I really like Molly. She's really uh, intriguing as a companion. She's very likable. James and I were discussing before about how she's she's very serious. She's very compassionate. She laughs in some of these, like very playful. Like we see the whole spectrum of her uh, character in these stories, and, and uh, really, she's grown on me very quickly. Yeah, I agree. I, I think she's a very, very strong companion or companion figure. And uh, I can't remember what happens to her. I literally cannot remember what happens <laughs> to her. So I will have to continue following along with you as you listen further into the series. So it's been great talking with you. Hey, you too. And I'm looking forward to seeing how this plays out in the last part of Dark Eyes 1, which is called X and the Daleks. See you next time. That was the Doctor Who Podcast, which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it into feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. Thank you for listening. Take care. Thank you.